I always had in the back of my mind that, you know, I'm going to make this happen. And, you know, I love challenges. And this was, you know, by far the hardest thing that I've ever done, but it's been, you know, incredibly rewarding and I've learned so much along the way. It's been such an incredible journey and process. And to put it like that, I guess almost is really what got me through. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Some people were born to be chefs. From families that place food at the centre of everything they do, families that forge careers working the land, or acknowledging and accentuating the fruits of the land on the plate through generations, through different cultures, and celebrating what it means to break bread. Tom Serafian is an award-winning chef and now the owner of Serafian Producers of Hummus. Tom, how are you? Very well, thanks, Huck. How are you going, mate? Good. Your father and grandfather were chefs. Did you have any choice but to become a chef? Um, yeah, I did. I had every choice, but uh, <laughs> I think the, um, the road was paved pretty clearly for me, and I had my heart set on becoming a chef as far back as I can remember. You've had a fascinating year, which we can get into, the closure of your restaurant. You've started manufacturing a retail product. Um, but when, how important was food to you growing up in your family? Yeah, um, extremely important. Um, my mum is also a, a fantastic cook and a gardener and horticulturalist. Um, and, you know, even um, my grandparents as well, fantastic cooks. My, my grandfather, a chef. Um, so, yeah, I was really, really lucky and extremely fortunate to grow up with uh, beautiful food in abundance. And, um, you know, with, with parents who were in the food world, um, you know, I, I, I learned firsthand from them uh, not only the importance of ingredients from mum from growing veggies in the garden that were picked fresh before meals, but also um, from dad, how to cook them and, and, you know, bring the best out of them. And uh, yeah, so I, I grew up, um, you know, very lucky to be always eating delicious foods. And it was, it was very much a big part of my um, childhood and upbringing. Tell us a bit about the heritage of your parents and grandparents and the sort of feasts that uh, you experienced as a kid with the family. Yeah, so I grew up eating, uh, you know, because dad being a chef and always cooking um, in busy restaurants, mum was doing most of the cooking at home. Uh, and my mum's Australian and my father is Armenian. Uh, he was born and his parents were born in Egypt and they grew up there. Um, but yeah, so I, like I grew up pretty much eating, um, you know, whatever other average Australian kid eats at home, but on uh, Sundays for, for big, beautiful Sunday lunches uh, at grandparents' house and, you know, special occasions, birthdays, Christmases, things like that. Um, we would go to my Armenian grandparents' house and it was always really interesting and exciting to eat these foods that, that I wasn't eating on a, on a daily basis. They were sort of rather saved for special occasions. Um, and they were always incredibly delicious. You know, my grandfather being a chef as well, uh, he cooked around Melbourne in, in uh, mostly French restaurants, but he would also, you know, cook things that he learned how to um, cook and grow up eating in, in Egypt and that his Armenian parents would, would cook for him. So, yeah, there were always exotic, uh, beautiful flavours that were new to me. And, yeah, I just have so many, you know, fond memories of, of dishes that they would put on. But, yeah, like I said, always, always safe for sort of special occasions. 
are there any dishes from from that time that inspire the food that you do now as a chef? Yeah, very much so. But but sort of only in the recent years where I've been sort of looking back to those meals and, and reminiscing and, you know, calling grandma and saying, hey, you know, remember this dish you used to cook or how grandpa used to cook this, you know, how, how did he make that, you know, because a, a lot of it is like looking through cookbooks and doing research for, for Middle Eastern uh, cooking, which is what I cook, and seeing things and, and being like, oh, I think, you know, I ate that as a kid growing up. I can sort of remember that or something very similar anyways. And, and um, yeah, you know, like things like uh, hummus was a big part of it. Like I remember being a little kid and not knowing what anything was, but always reaching for the hummus, which my grandfather would always make fresh, beautiful hummus, which is always, you know, incredibly delicious. Um, and I think the Egyptian-style hummus as well, which was a bit uh, maybe different to the Lebanese. Um, in, and it was like incredibly rich with uh, tahini and uh, a lot of garlic on there as well. Take us back to when you first stepped into a commercial kitchen. Do you remember what it was like uh, working as an apprentice? Yeah. So I think um, I was always, you know, going to be a chef. And my dad taught me things like how to use a knife and how to cook dishes at home. And, you know, I kind of grew up uh, as a little kid at primary school and going hanging out afterwards in, in dad's uh kitchens and you know just doing things like standing on milk crates and helping peel prawns and pod peas and broad beans and those kind of jobs so I was already you know had this sort of introduction to that world and somewhat of an understanding um so as soon as I left high school I, I jumped straight into an apprenticeship and I was really lucky to land one at the Stokehouse um which my dad used to cook there um you know back in the day as well so yeah no I you know had these sort of memories of growing up in St Kilda and going to the Stokehouse and eating dad's food. And I don't know, there was something that just sort of lured me to be there. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was really lucky to land in the friendship there, which I, I completed. And I think I cooked there for about four years. And it was a great place. It was a great place to learn. Uh, Anthony Massaro, the chef at the time, was a great teacher. And I was really lucky to just sort of move my way around the whole kitchen and spend, you know, six months um, you know, making pasta on the pasta section, then another six months in the in the cold larder, and then you know, being on the on the grill, uh, learning how to you know cook meats and fish and things like that, and then you know even end up cooking in the pastry section. So I got a really good all round um, experience through my apprenticeship, and you know I think that was that was really cool and really lucky to have that experience. Greg Maloof had a big impact on your life. Tell us about where that started and and the relationship that you guys ended up having. Yeah, uh, Greg, you know, incredible, amazing chef and uh, such a beautiful guy. Um, it was actually at the Stokehouse. Uh, I remember, you know, it was, it was such an awesome uh, working life being at the Stokehouse. You know, even if you do a double shift, you'd, you'd get a break during the day. And, you know, whether you jump in St Kilda Beach and have a bit of a swim or rest on the, on the sand for a little while and enjoy some sun or, or I'd walk down Ackland Street and get a coffee and just hang out in readings, cook uh, – it's a uh, – Book, bookshop that had you know a wide range of cookbooks and I remember on my break one day picking up one of Greg's books it was Saha his Lebanese and Syrian book and flicking through the pages and it was Saha his Lebanese and Syrian book and I remember seeing dishes in there that uh, reminded me of um, foods that I grew up eating at my grandparents home um, and seeing them in a, in, a, in a new light you know cooking cooking it this Stokehouse and this two-hat restaurant environment and, and at that age when you're a young chef, you know, fine dining at that time anyway was, um, 
you know, everything and seeing those dishes that were just so sort of rustic that my grandparents would cook. But, but Greg's has this uh, beautiful touch, this, this finesse to, you know, put them in a, in a light that I'd never seen them before. And I was incredibly blown away by that. Um, and I started cooking from the book, you know, staff meals at the Stokehouse. You know, I think it was towards the end of my apprenticeship, yeah, uh, where I was getting a little bit more confident. And, you know, I would do things like spend three days sort of slowly um, prepping in any sort of spare moments I had for some elaborate meal. And, you know, we'd be cooking for like 30 staff members in, in total. So I'd, I'd make like, you know, um, a version of his uh, bestia or something like that that just took, you know, so much work and love. Um, and people would really blown away by it and um yeah i really became more confident from that because i think i gained a little bit of a, a reputation for cooking awesome staff meals which was really cool um and then you know one thing sort of led to another i think someone joined the team who used to work at momo and you know i was like oh what's it like you know i think i want to want to go there next and yeah I'd, I'd finished up my apprenticeship at that time and i um i just got in touch with brooke who was the head chef at the moment uh at the time sorry and um you know, she said, yeah, we're not really hiring, but just come in and, you know, um, we'll meet you and have a chat and see what happens. And I did. And, um, you know, Greg was there and I was a bit starstruck. And, uh, but, you know, he's, he's such a lovely guy. It was, it was great, you know, meeting him and, and Brooke and getting to know those guys. And, um, you know, it was only about uh, four or five months later, I think, when they called me and said, yeah, we've got a, we've got a spot. Um, come on down. Um, and that, that sort of just changed everything, you know, cooking. Middle Eastern food, um, it just felt right. I remember, you know, being a little bit lost, uh, not knowing what to cook, you know, whether I was going to go down the Thai route. I was really inspired by, like, David Thompson's books. I loved, you know, cooking his his recipes on my days off. Um, or even, you know, I remember picking up Damien Pignolet's French cookbook and being incredibly inspired by that. But, yeah, it was really when I joined the Momo team and, and continued cooking uh, Middle Eastern foods on my days off with my family and they were like you know what this is like the best food you've cooked where I yeah, I just sensed that it felt like the right thing to do and you know I felt like I was I was good at it and yeah it just seemed right um, and yeah I remember Greg had just come back from from traveling I think he was writing his Iranian cookbook Saraban um, and that was just like a whole new world of all these Persian flavors and yeah, I think uh, I learned a lot at, at, at Momo. Um, unfortunately, the restaurant closed uh, whilst I was working there. Um, but then the opportunity came up to join Greg in London, where he took over um, at Peterson Nurseries. Um, so I moved to London and started, you know, the whole two-year Australian work visa thing over there. How different was it working in London compared to the experiences that you'd had in Melbourne? Um, yeah, I didn't really know what I was going to be in for. I didn't, I didn't know anyone in London. Um, I wasn't sure sort of how long I was going to be there for or what it was going to be like at all. Um, I didn't really even know too much about Peter's from Nursery, the restaurant. Greg had just um, you know, got in touch and said, I'm at this, uh, this restaurant and it's just spectacular and the produce is phenomenal. Um, and you know you should be here, so I, I just I just went for it. I didn't really think too much about it. There wasn't really anywhere else I wanted to cook in Melbourne at the time. Um, and yeah, next thing I knew, I was I was there. I was in London, and I was cooking with Greg um, at Petersham, which turned out to just be the most fantastic restaurant. It's a, a Michelin-starred restaurant set in a in a nursery, um, 
you know, it's all outdoor seating um, in this just spectacular space, you know, filled with beautiful flowers and plants um, and antique furniture. And it was just something else. And and Richmond, where it's located, is just a a stunning area. So it was was a pretty pretty unique and cool introduction to, uh, to London, I guess. Yeah. You mentioned that there was access to the most extraordinary produce. What was what was some of the produce that you remember that really stood out for you at that time? Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember Momo Greg was always somewhat frustrated with fruit and vegetables that would come in, and I never really understood why. I was like, I think these are pretty good. You know, what's, what's wrong with these tomatoes? So, you know, that was you know as good as I knew them to be, I guess. But it, it kind of clicked because you know he'd he'd um, trained you know in uh, countries like Italy um, and. Yeah, I kind of knew what he was talking about then because we were having, you know, tomatoes and artichokes and, um, you know, things like that flown in on a daily basis from Italy and, you know, incredible fish and seafood um, locally sourced and, you know, cheeses from France and all all these kinds of things that just really opens up your eyes to the the beautiful produce that's there in that part of the world that we just don't have access to here. Um, so that was, that was just incredible. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of herbs and vegetables were grown on site as well, which would pick fresh in the morning. Um, you know, and they'd be gone by the end of the day. Um, it was just an incredibly inspiring experience. And yeah, I think I just started looking at food in a new way, um, in a way that only that kind of produce can really inspire you to. You, you took a, a slight detour and, and, and worked with Fergus Henderson at St. John, a renowned, one of the world's best restaurants, a nose to tail um, cookery. What was that experience like compared to what you'd had up till then? Yeah, that was, that was something else. That was, um, I think I went there with a friend who uh, was cooking there and we, I'll never forget that meal. We just, there was maybe four or five of us. And um, Jonathan, who was the um, chef at St. John at the time joined us and, well, I think we ate everything on the menu and drank almost everything on the wine list as well. It was just such a fun experience and, and the food is just it's just so unique. I never had anything like it. They're, they're just such bold, beautiful dishes. Um, and, you know, obviously all the the offal um, I was really excited about because I'd never eaten a lot of that stuff before. Um, and, yeah, that meal just floored me and I ended up joining the team not long after. Um, you know, I kind of just said, I really, really want to work here, guys. If there's any way you can make it happen. Um, and it was good timing because, you know, St. John's kind of restaurant where there's always, you know, people staging there from all, all um, areas of the world. Um, but I just, yeah, sort of knocked on the door at the right time, I guess, and was really lucky to end up working there for a year. Um, and even though I sort of put, you know, the whole Middle Eastern thing aside, I learned just so much, so many new skills, you know, how to, how to butcher meats and how to, um, use restraints was probably the biggest thing that I learned at St. John. It was always about, you know, just letting the flavors and the ingredients shine and, and the art of simplicity, which was a whole new thing to me. Um, and I always had it in the back of my mind that whilst I was cooking, you know, Fergus's food, um, and doing everything the St. John way that, you know, some things like, like barbecuing lamb heart, I was like, Oh, you know, what? a little bit of a spice or a little bit of tum on this would be really cool too. So, you know, I was, I was taking ideas from them and, and then, you know, with the thoughts of putting my own sort of touches on them in the future. St. John is uh, much loved by the food world 
the world over. It's a destination for anyone that works in in food. Did you have? You, did you ever get the chance to cook for any famous uh, food people? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it's a bit of a hotspot for for celebs and and people like that around London. Um, you know, and uh, one day we we kind of caught wind that um, Anthony Bourdain was coming in for dinner. Um, and I think it was through, you know, Bourdain that I discovered St. John in the first place. So that was, that was quite a moment. Um, he was there and, and Nigella Lawson was um, on his table as well. Um, so there was a bit of pressure. And I remember being on the, um, the section of the kitchen, which they call the corner. And that's where you cook all the game birds. And I think it was, it was right smack bang in the middle of game season. Um, and what that kind of means is that, like, for me, being an outsider coming into St. John, like, I remember going in, you know, for my days off, for my first day of the week, and seeing all these different birds in, in the courtroom and not knowing what they were, you know, things like teal and, um, you know, mallard ducks and, and grouse and um, just being like, okay, you've got to cook this for lunch today. And, um, you know, I remember I was cooking grouse and, and um, Bourdain ordered it and put up the tweet the next day kind of cutting into it saying magnificently cooked grouse at St. John. And that was just like, oh, I can die happy now. You know? <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that was, that was quite a moment cooking for Anthony Bourdain. What did you take from your experiences in London before to returning to Australia? Um, yeah, so much. I, um, you know, St. John was also just such a great working culture. Um, you know, I remember being forced to take annual leave, even though I was only working there for a year. Um, and in that time I went and, and staged at Morrow, um, which was only up the road. And, um, you know, the way that sort of happened, I, th- I think I ate there and um, the yogurt cake, which is like their signature dish that's been on the menu for probably 25 years now. Just sort of had a mouthful of this dessert and thought, oh, my God, I need to work here to learn how to make this thing. Um, and so, yeah, I did, and, and I staged there. And, 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 you know, maybe two weeks into the stage, um, I had six months left of my visa, and I said, you know, you guys, do you reckon there's any chance I could just work here for six months? I know that's a bit weird, but, like, it'd be really awesome if I could. Um, and they said yes. You know, I was really lucky. Um, so I finished up at St. John and went up the road to tomorrow, and I cooked there for six months. And, um, you know, I kind of got back into the whole Levantine thing and, and started cooking Spanish and Moroccan food for the first time as well, um, which sort of broadened the horizons of Middle Eastern food somewhat. You know, there's some sort of translation through through those countries as well. Um, you know, they've definitely got the Arabic touch in some areas. So, yeah, kind of kind of got me back into the swing of that. Um, and then, yeah, my, my time in London was up and I'd sort of been loosely planning a, a trip on the way home. I was, I was working quite a lot there and I never really had time to, to travel around Europe or any, anything like that. Um, so I'd planned a big uh, four-month um, trip on the way home and I travelled by myself through, through Europe um, and then to Spain. I spent a month there in Morocco. Um, then I went across to Egypt and Greece. Um, uh, then I visited Turkey and Lebanon, Armenia. Um, and, yeah, all these places that I'd been sort of, you know, fantasizing about somewhat and, and, and um, idolizing their, their food. Um, and then I got to eat it firsthand and, and I ate a lot. I was, I was just like, I went, I went crazy. I was just like, I'm going to eat everything. I had like a list of dishes to eat in each country and, um, you know, the ones I liked, I ate a couple of times. Um, and then, yeah, I finally ended up back in Melbourne. What were some of the highlights of that trip that have, has influenced you as a chef since then? 
Um, yeah, uh, it was all it was all really um, so inspiring. I think, uh, especially um, being in Armenia, um, you know, and, and uh, meeting my family um, over there for the first time, um, aunties and cousins, and and staying in their homes and having sort of home cooked Armenian dishes, which was quite unique. Um, and yeah, apart from those sort of like hits and dishes that maybe so, sort of somewhat obvious that were on my list, um, maybe the highlights was were discovering more of the sort of regional uh, dishes that you don't hear about so much and, you know, things that might be somewhat authentic or traditional, but then you, you eat like a chef's, um, you know, their own personal interpretation of those dishes, which you don't sort of see and read about in cookbooks or hear about from anyone. Um, you know, things like a, a, a chef from a, you know, this village might do it this way and, you know, all these sort of regional variations. So that that really broadened my horizons to, um, you know, look look above and beyond what was in the cookbooks and dig a little bit deeper into the cuisines. When you came back to Australia, that's when you started to really make a, a name for yourself with Middle Eastern cuisine. Tell us about that period of time and, the, and what it was like uh, getting success and building uh, your career in that way. Yeah, yeah. It, um, it all happened pretty quickly. I, I took a sous chef position at Rumi. So, you know, I think I was about 27 years old at the time and it was it felt like it was time to sort of step up into a somewhat senior position. Um, that that very quickly uh, became a head chef position, I think, after two months, um, which was quite overwhelming. Um, but it was it was really cool. You know, I really enjoyed Rumi. Um, you know, I ran the kitchen there for about three years and somewhere down that path I started cooking um, some of my own food, you know, just starting off putting specials on the menu um, and then, you know, it got to a point where I was writing sort of half the menu. Um, you know, half the menu of Rumi has been sort of a staple and then the other half sort of changes seasonally. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of keeping up with that and getting the hang of that and, um, you know, leading a team for the first time. Um, and I was really blessed to, to have some incredible young chefs come and join my team and, and um, you know, guys who, who are friends still and, and um, you know, you know, really, really good chefs who have gone on to do amazing things, one of which, um, you know, ended up uh, going over to St. John and um, taking a job, which I kind of hooked him up with and became the sous chef there. Um, and, yeah, you know, it was, it was just, a, just a great experience all in all, just, um, you know, working with people, managing people, uh, cooking beautiful food and, you know, just gaining more confidence to, to cook my own food. Um, and I think at, you know, that three-year point, um, the opportunity to open Saracen came up. Um, so I left Rumi and I went on another sort of research trip uh, back to the Middle East. Um, you know, I visited Iran for the first time um, and that, that was incredible. You know, the, the Iranian food, it's somewhat similar to Middle Eastern food, but it's very much its own and you know, all these new flavours and, and uh, you know, which led to new ideas. Um, that was a big part of what I cooked at Saracen, you know, Iranian food. Um, you know, I met, I met chefs there, um, people who worked in, in uh, saffron uh, manufacturing, um, you know, food writers and just learned so much. And, um, you know, I was there with a, a pen and a notepad in my hand every day and eating as much as I could again and just, uh, you know, coming up with ideas of dishes to put on the, the opening menu at Saracen. Um and then I, I went back to Beirut um, and, again, I was very lucky. You know, the first time I visited these countries, I'd never really had uh, any idea what I was doing or where to go or anybody there. But by this time, I sort of made some connections in that sort of food world and um, I was, yeah, really lucky to be taken around. Um, 
you know, people like Jade George, who, who uh, writes the publication, The Carton Magazine, um, in Beirut, you know, very generously with the time took me to some of the best restaurants and, um, you know, to, to wineries and places in the Bacar Valley. And, um, you know, that, that was at the point actually where I ate uh, the best hummus that I'd ever had. And I think, you know, I sat down taking all these notes about the texture of hummus and, and thinking, okay, you know, this has got to be part of what we do when we open Saris and I want to put hummus on the menu. Um, but it's got to be like the best hummus that I can possibly make. Um, I became a bit obsessed with hummus and, um, you know, when I came back from Melbourne uh, via Istanbul, which is, you know, another inspiring experience altogether, um, you know, I started playing around with, with, with uh, you know, hummus recipes and techniques and developing, um, you know, my recipe. And when we opened Saracen, uh, the idea was to put hummus on the menu, but to change uh, the toppings. And, and the toppings is the thing that they do in Lebanon where, you know, it's, it's more than just a dip. It's like a, it's like a meal in itself. Um, you know, hummus with ground lamb and spices and nuts fried in butter on top. Um, you know, for me, that's, that's probably, you know, my death row dish. It's just, uh, it's just the best. Um, so that was the idea to sort of do that, but, but change the topping seasonally. You know, we opened with a, a barbecue calamari, uh, topping and then and then we I think we did the classic lamb, um, you know maybe in autumn we did a pumpkin one, um, and then you know through summer uh, I did a, a prawn and crab topping. Um, but all the time they were sort of based on that classic uh, lamb awama recipe. So all the same sort of flavors and spices and everything, um, but with seafood, which was um, you know something new, and it was just so well received that. Uh, I never took it off the menu. I think it was on there for almost two and a half years. Uh, it became a bit of a signature. And, you know, that, that sort of led to the style of um, my food as well at Saracen. I think I developed this style where I would sort of take an idea, you know, an authentic or traditional recipe or technique and just do a little bit of the, you know, my touch on it um, using, you know, beautiful local produce, uh, you know, that just sort of made sense, you know, to use those sort of flavours, um, you know, but but with the still the the same sort of flavor profiles and, and characteristics of you know the the authentic recipes. You became obsessed with hummus, and it was a, a real key dish at Bar Saracen. But what makes a great hummus? What does it take to make it? Um, yeah, it takes a lot of time. It took me about three years to to get it to a point where I was satisfied. Um, yeah, uh, look, I think. Hummus is, for me, it's a real art of simplicity. It's um, something that only has, you know, a handful of ingredients. So straight away, that just makes me think they've got to be the best quality ingredients. Um, so that took a bit of time, you know, finding what the best chickpeas were, the best tahini, the best salt, the best olive oil, um, you know, to, to get the best garlic, to get the, the most delicious lemons. Um, and then the technique on top of that. So... I developed a technique where, you know, I soak them for two days. I changed the water a whole bunch of times. Um, and then I cook them in a pressure cooker until they're extremely soft. And uh, I, I blitz them twice when they're hot and then the next day when they're cold. Um, and that's when I add the lemon juice and the garlic when it's cold. Uh, rather than adding it, you know, in that one single go when it's hot, which I, in my opinion gives it a bit of a sort of cooked and dull lemon garlic flavour. Um, so this process, you know, it's a bit, well, it's a lot more labor intensive, I guess, but, um, you know, the end result is, is something pretty, pretty awesome. 
Um, you know, I also found this way of sort of agitating the chickpeas and cooking them to a point where the skins would sort of lift to the surface and then I would skim the skins off, which makes it incredibly smooth as well. Uh, and all of this came from a lot of trial and error and just, just making it every single day, trying, you know, the next day to make it a little bit better than the last. Bart Harrison won many accolades in the three years that you had it open, including number one restaurant in uh, Victoria. It closed in February this year. Tell us about that time and was it was it a difficult decision to make? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I wasn't the... Um the one who made the decision. I was the chef uh, at, at Saracen. Um, you know, I was never financially involved or anything like that. Um, and yeah, it was it was absolutely heartbreaking. You know, COVID um, hit at a point where we just really, really found our groove. And I think I'd, you know, become really confident and satisfied with my menus and my cooking. Um, you know, it was, it was a you know it was a long road to get to that point. Maybe at sort of the one and a half to two year mark. Um, and, you know, I think we had, a, we had a great summer. I think uh, the summer of 2020 was, you know, the busiest, best summer we had. Um, and then, yeah, not long after the pandemic hit, it was incredibly frustrating. Uh, and it was, really, it was really hard for us, you know, being smack bang in the middle of the CBD down a little laneway. Uh, takeaway was always going to be, you know, a big ask. Um, but we gave it, you know, everything we had. And it sort of... Uh, you know, forced me to be really, really creative with takeaway offerings. You know, we did some pretty cool stuff. We did some, um, you know, takeaway events. I'd even invite some friends as, as guest chefs to come and cook. And, you know, we'd, we'd um, you know, put like a farm, like a, one of our, you know, fantastic local uh, organic farms in the spotlight. And, and we did menus using, I think, but their first produce. Um, we even did an event with, with Brooke, uh, who was the head chef at Momo and Simone, who used to cook there back in the day. And um, we cooked uh, Greg's recipes. We did a, you know, one-off Maloof dinner, which was pretty awesome. Um, and they all went really well, you know, like they, they, were, they were just the right thing to do to keep the team motivated and to keep us going. Um, and then when we did finally open back up uh, after the long lockdown, um, you know, we ended up offering a, a $90 set menu, which was, um, you know, something new for us. And we brought back all the, all the sort of hits, all the, you know, favorite dishes for everyone that had been missing them. And, you know, as, as weird as it was in that time with all the restrictions and nobody really knew, you know, what, what was going on. Um, you know, it was, it was good. It was good to be back. Um, but yeah, unfortunately it all came to a, to a somewhat sudden end, um, and I, I wasn't ready to, to stop cooking my food. So, uh, you know, at that time as well, um, you know, it was, it was during summer, I think, 2021, I started doing some uh, takeaway, uh, sorry, not takeaway, some uh, outdoor um, barbecue pop-up events around, around town, um, which were pretty cool, pretty fun. You know, my, my brother, who's a DJ, was playing music outdoors and I'd invite, you know, people to come and cook and just let them have sort of free reign on the menu. Um, and yeah, that was, that was, you know, a whole lot of fun and that was really good. Uh, and that sort of, you know, one thing led to another and, um, I was sort of, you know, in conversations with little Andorra, which is just up the road from us at Saracen in Carlton, uh, to do something there. Um, but then when Saracen, you know, was announced that it was going to close, I, I quickly, um, you know, I think it was two days after Saracen closed, we ended up taking a residency at Andorra, um, and I brought uh, Mikey, one of the chefs who was with me at Saracen, over, and we just we just kept it going, um, and it was great. The, the three months became four. Um, you know, we went through 
snap lockdown or two, I think. Um, I think it was the last day. It was meant to be a big last uh, Sunday lunch feast. Um, we ended up going to lockdown that day, so we sort of flipped it and did kebabs out the window. But that was, that was great too, you know. Like we had we had a huge response and um, a, lot of, a lot of support. And, yeah, but somewhere somewhere along that timeline, you know, I, I felt like it was the right time to launch um, my hummus, which is something that I'd always wanted to do. I came really close to doing it at Saracen. Um, and I just never really had the time being so busy. Um, but, yeah, at Andorra, uh, I just felt like it was the right time to do it. Um, and that was the next chapter for me. And what sort of impact has the last year and a half had on you? Has there been some positives to come out of this? And, you know, how are you looking to move forward um, now that you're sort of um, not working at a, at a restaurant at the moment? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's been, it's in, I guess it's been a huge challenge, obviously, for everyone. But I think I'm really lucky and grateful that I've had in the back of my mind something to be working towards, and that's launching my hummus. Um, and, you know, that, that was born out of the love and support through three years cooking it at Saracen and, and people sort of telling me, you know, this is so good. It's, it's one of Melbourne's, you know, must-eat dishes and all these kind of compliments and, you know, I've, I've never been good at taking compliments, but when you start hearing, you know, so many of the same ones, you actually do start accepting them. Um, and, yeah, I just, you know, that, that really helped me, you know, knowing that I had something to move towards as stressful as everything was happening, um, you know, in the hospitality industry due to COVID and, and so many friends and chefs were having such, you know, difficult times and no one was enjoying doing takeaway. I always had in the back of my mind that, you know, I'm going to make this happen. And, you know, I love challenges. And this was, you know, by far the hardest thing that I've ever done, but it's been, you know, incredibly rewarding and I've learned so much along the way. It's been such an incredible journey and process. And, you know, I couldn't have done it without the love and support from everybody, you know, in the industry and, and beyond. Um, so I think, you know, to put it like that, I guess Hormus is really what got me through. Um, and, yeah, I just, I just uh, I'm so grateful for that. I know you've only just launched uh, your hummus, but uh, what's next for you from a chefing perspective? Um, yeah, look, I think uh, I'm pretty overwhelmed. We, we're, um, we've just launched the company um, a week ago and the response has been so, so heartwarming and, and just, um, you know, I'm just completely overwhelmed. I thought I was going to sort of start off small and grow, you know, um, bit by bit, but um, – you know, we're selling out. Like stockers are just asking for for as much as they can get, and I'm, I'm under the pump. And you know, I'm I'm having to, um, you know, expand pretty quickly, um, which has meant that I've employed some chefs who have been out of work to come and help me. Um, and we're just gonna we're just gonna keep going and see where where it takes us. You know, I'll introduce a few more products down the line, um, but you know, I'm, I'm definitely not stepping away from restaurants. I'm very much looking forward to opening my own restaurant um, as soon as I can. You know, it's just not the right time to do it at the moment. Um, and I've got all kinds of crazy ideas on what that might look like. Um, but, you know, the best thing about sort of stepping away for, for a little bit is that I've got time to think about what I want to do, um, you know, which, which has been really valuable. Um, and, yeah, just, just sort of, you know, brainstorming ideas and where it would be and what it would look like and what kind of food I would do. Um, you know, it's really exciting and I'm, I'm, you know, patient. I'm very much 
you know, holding back until the time is right. But I'm just so excited to, to one day make it happen. Well, Tom, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are very much looking forward to seeing what you do uh, from now on and also getting their hands on your hummus as well if it's not selling out. Um, mate, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Huck. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I've been really enjoying everybody's stories. So thank you, thank you for uh, having me on. Really appreciate it, mate. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.